This episode is dedicated to Wayne Spriggs, whose joy of aviation and passion for the skies was surpassed only by his love and devotion to his family and loved ones. Godspeed until we meet again. Welcome to the Immortal Souls Podcast, where we explore the history, stories, myths, legends, and hype that make shoes what they are today. We are Jared and Nick, two brothers with a passion for shoes. We are excited to have you along for the journey. Since the dawn of humankind, we have looked to the skies and dreamt of flight, of soaring with the birds and gliding above the clouds. Even today, who hasn't thought about being able to jump up and shoot hundreds of feet up into the air? Or who hasn't dreamt of spreading one's arms like wings and launching themselves off a mountainside, effortlessly flying above the trees and lakes and glaciers? Mankind's obsession with flight goes way back. The recorded history of aviation, in fact, goes back a couple thousand years. Man-made aircraft, such as kites, were built in China as far back as the 5th century BC, with accounts of person-carrying kites being used in the 6th century AD. Hot air balloons and sky lanterns are thought to have been used in China as far back as the 3rd century BC. Centuries ago, men would strap on bird-like wings or put on stiff cloaks and jump off towers with predictably disastrous results. One such person, the scientist Abbas ibn Firnas, was recorded in the 9th century AD to have made a jump in Cordoba, Spain by covering his body in vulture feathers and strapping on two wings to his arms. Later, when principles of physics such as lift and stability were starting to be understood, people like Leonardo da Vinci in the 15th century created blueprints for primitive helicopter-type machines and other flying contraptions. As the 19th and 20th centuries passed, we saw the likes of gliders and airships, which gave way to airplanes, jets, helicopters, and supersonic and hypersonic aircraft. And then... Five. Four, three, spacecraft. Two, one, zero, liftoff. We have a liftoff. So it's safe to say, in many ways, we've achieved this elusive dream of flight. And all within the last one to two centuries. By now, mankind has taken to the skies like never before pushing the limits of our imagination and what is possible. But for all this amazing technological success, we still yearn for more. We don't just want to soar like the birds. It's not just about the altitude anymore, after all. Heck, we've broken free of the Earth's atmosphere and sent man to the moon. The eagle has landed. It's not even about speed. Jets have been breaking the sound barrier since 1947. 
No, we don't want to settle with just the ability to reach the skies. We want to fly as the birds, free, unfettered, uninhibited, without relying on or being inside of any flying machine. We want to shake free of the gravitational shackles that bind us down. Just ourselves in the great blue yonder. Perhaps the ultimate idea of pure, absolute freedom. This idea of pure flight, such as how a bird just flaps its wings and takes off, or how a superhero like Iron Man or Superman takes to the skies without having to climb in any sort of aircraft, is the ultimate idea of human flight. Sure, I suppose in a way, we can get that feeling by going paragliding or cliff jumping in a squirrel suit. But these activities are more controlled falling, and you have to start at an elevated area to glide downwards. You can't just jump up from the ground in a squirrel suit and expect to soar up into the air. It seems that the idea of true personal flight still, by and large, eludes us. Or does it? Today, we explore personal flight technology. We're talking rocket-powered shoes, hoverboards, and jetpacks. Ready? Okay, let's strap in and do this. In the 1960s, NASA was hard at work building and testing technology for its space program and upcoming planned trips to the moon. Uncertainty about how astronauts would be able to handle extravehicular activities due to the low gravity of the moon drove the agency to test out reduced gravity simulators and to brainstorm devices that the astronauts could use to move around more freely and effectively. Out of this thought process came the idea to develop jet-powered shoes known as jet shoes. The concept of jet shoes was created by John D. Bird in 1965. <laughs> of course his last name would be Bird, given our subject matter today. Anyways, not to get off topic or anything, John Bird's jet shoe idea stemmed from a flying platform design which was developed by Charles H. Zimmerman and Paul Hill. This design, while never actually built, involved someone being able to control a thrust vector by pushing against the soles of their feet. This idea interested both NASA, who could use such technology for moon exploration, and the U.S. military, who would be interested to use such equipment for transporting soldiers. Bird expanded on the flying platform idea with his own idea of jet shoes. So basically, the way jet shoes would work is a single jet would be placed on the soles of each shoe of the subject. These shoes would shoot out jets of pressurized gas, allowing the astronaut to fly around. The jets could be activated on demand by a toe switch, a bite bar, or a sip switch, the last two ideas involving the subject's mouth to control the jets on the shoes. By moving their feet and legs, the subject could direct the jets, allowing them to control their altitude and position while in the air. On NASA's website, an article about these shoes explains that, quote, The Jet Shoes Experiment Hardware consists of a gas storage backpack assembly and portable show-mounted solenoid thrust valves. The pneumatic system, which was designed to use gaseous oxygen and to deliver two pounds of thrust from each thrust valve nozzle, with a pressure at a regular outlet of approximately 165 psi. The gas storage tank was designed to contain a minimum of 15 pounds of gaseous oxygen at 6,000 psi, 
This concept makes use of the well-developed balance capability of the human body utilized in walking to control jets attached to the soles of the shoes to produce the desired translations and rotations of the body necessary for extravehicular activity. Close quote. The main advantage of an astronaut using such shoes would be that because the astronaut can control the jets with their feet rather than their hands, their hands would be free to perform other tasks. Well, NASA got to work testing these shoes and simulating zero-gravity environments and building 1220, which is the simulation lab at NASA's Langley Research Center in Virginia. Quite a bit of testing was done, but the development team faced several obstacles. The shoes were heavy, difficult to put on, and they required some initial adjustment after putting them on before they could be tested or used. Some people were also convinced that there was no need for simulated tests to be run, as astronauts could just figure them out and operate them. Eventually, the obstacles faced in developing the shoes outweighed the benefits of continuing their development, and the researchers at Langley ultimately scrapped the project and moved on to testing other designs. So it seems as if the idea of soaring around like Iron Man is pretty much dead on the ground, right? Well, not so fast. Calling all Tony Starks out there, NASA actually recently released the jet shoes patent to the public in a public domain dump of 56 previously patented technologies. Now, we all have the plans and schematics to whip up our own rocket-powered kicks, and we can use these plans legally. Now more than ever, the reality of Iron Man jet boots seems not too far off. All it takes is some ingenuity and innovation for some crafty engineer out there to whip up a working prototype. NASA's plan with releasing this technology to the public, as explained by a NASA spokesman, is to allow someone to make good use of it and find ways to improve modern life with it. Just think of the possibilities with this. A little mind-blowing, to be honest. Maybe one day, jet shoes will be the new Segway or electric scooter or something. I cannot wait. Okay, so rocket-powered Iron Man shoes aren't quite available to purchase by would-be superheroes. At least yet. So what else, if anything, is out there as far as personal flight technology goes? What about hoverboards, jetpacks, stuff like that? Look, I need to borrow your... Hoverboard? Where is he? Here. There! He's on a hoverboard! Ah, yes, the iconic hoverboard scene from Back to the Future 2, where Marty McFly and his equally iconic Nike Air Mags is being chased around town while on a floating skateboard-like hoverboard. It's funny to see how this 1989 film imagined what the year 2015 would be like. In the early 1990s, rumors emerged that hoverboards, like the ones in the movie, actually exist, but that they were deemed too dangerous by parents' groups to be sold to the public. Well, sadly, those rumors were conclusively debunked. And here we are, five years past Back to the Future's imagined 2015, and still, no such hoverboards to show for it. Such a letdown. 
Well, the good news is, is that there is some hoverboard technology out there, and it is improving with time. A few key events to mention concerning development of hoverboard technology. Back in 2001, Dean Kamen's invention, nicknamed Ginger, was rumored to be a hoverboard type of transportation device. It actually ended up being the Segway, which is a self-balancing electric scooter device. Not a hoverboard, but still cool and groundbreaking technology for the time. Go fast, go slow, go anywhere. This is how you envision travel, sometime in the future. But this isn't the transportation of tomorrow. It's Segway today. Discover the new Segway Personal Transporter. An evolution in transportation, ideally suited for personal and commercial use. In 2004, Jamie Heineman, who you might remember as the mustache-sporting, fedora-wearing co-host of the TV show Mythbusters, built the Heineman Hoverboard, which was a makeshift hoverboard made out of a surfboard and a leaf blow. But predictably, this contraption wasn't too effective and didn't really work. The wooden board and leaf blower idea was revisited in 2005 by Jason Bradbury for The Gadget Show. And basically, it was a large wooden board he was able to sit on in a basketball gym and sort of glide around over the floor due to the air cushion provided by the leaf blower engine. This design was improved upon in 2009, where two leaf blowers were used, and the vehicle was steered and propelled by a small jet engine. Ultimately, though, it didn't allow the user to really move around, and it just sort of hovered in one place. In October 2011, the Université Paris Diderot in France unveiled the MagSurf, a superconducting device which levitates 1.2 inches above two magnetized repulsing floor rails and can carry up to 220 pounds. Lexus, yes, the car company, entered the hoverboard game itself when, in June 24, 2015, it released a video as a part of its Amazing in Motion video series, showing a board of its own creation called the Slide. In the video, it shows pro skateboarder Ross Magoran gliding around on the board in a skate park in Barcelona, Spain. In this video, it looks like the board is sliding over a typical concrete skate park, but Lexus later admitted to its trickery, acknowledging that it was a special park that they built specifically for the board that contained special metallic surfaces, allowing the magnetic board to glide over it. They released another video explaining the technology behind the board, and it really is pretty interesting to see. According to Lexus, the slide worked by using liquid nitrogen-cooled superconductors and permanent magnets. To explain this in a little more detail, the slide hoverboard has a series of metal alloy superconducting blocks cooled to negative 197 degrees Celsius by reservoirs of liquid nitrogen. The track below the board, the one that looked like a skate park in the video, actually contains three magnets that induce a current in the blocks causing the Meissner effect to take hold and expel the magnetic field back towards the track in a mirror image. These mirroring magnetic forces repel each other, and so the board is lifted above the track. Even if someone stands on the board, the magnetic forces are strong enough to keep it levitating because the lack of electrical resistance in the superconductor means the magnetic field can adjust to deal with external pressure. 
According to the pro skateboarder that got to use this board, it was actually pretty difficult to learn how to balance on the board, let alone to ride on it. And even then, the board only would hover barely above the ground and only for around 10 minutes at a time, as the board had to be constantly topped off with more liquid nitrogen to function properly. As of now, the Lexus Slide Hoverboard is a one-off prototype with no plans to produce the board for people to purchase. But it's a cool concept and it opens the imagination to what is and what might become possible in the future of personal transportation. Around the same time Lexus unveiled the Slide Hoverboard, Greg Henderson introduced the Hendo Hoverboard that, similar to the Lexus Hoverboard, used magnetic properties to achieve levitation. We can see a video of the legendary skater Tony Hawk testing out the Hendo board on a specially built metal halfpipe. This board is shown to be quite large and barely hovers over the ground. It only works on special magnetic surfaces, but it's still cool to see. It reminds me visually of an air hockey puck sliding or gliding over the table. We will make sure to post links to YouTube videos showing the Lexus slide and other of these contraptions that we cover in the episode. And one last mention on the hoverboards. Although this contraption, due to being jet-powered, maybe belongs more in the rocket pack discussion. But inventor Frank Zapata has created a jet-powered hoverboard known as the Flyboard Air Easy Fly. The hoverboard is powered by five small jet engines producing a combined 1,500 horsepower with enough kerosene fuel in its attached backpack to fly around for 10 to 12 minutes before refueling. Supposedly, this board can soar up to 10,000 feet in the air, with the caveat being you would need to carry enough fuel to get up that high. Do a quick YouTube search and you can find a bunch of videos showing the flyboard air and it looks something like out of the future. Really, really cool stuff. On August 4th, 2019, Zapata, escorted by French Army helicopters, flew, or hovered, his flyboard air across the English Channel. He made the 22-mile jump over the channel in around 20 minutes, stopping once midpoint on a ship to refuel. He flew, or hovered if you will, up to a speed of around 110 miles per hour, and at around 50 feet in the air above the water. This is pretty amazing to see. And again, we will post links in the show notes if you're interested in seeing this jet-powered hoverboard in action. The Flyboard Air, while not available for sale yet, is open for pre-orders with an expected purchase price of around 330,000 US dollars. What are you doing? Doesn't look like I'm doing it. Come on, give me a hand. No, Cliff, no, for God's sake, we haven't tested enough. Look what she did to Lucky Lindy. Lindy, cut it out, cut it out. I'm scared enough as it is. Okay, listen. I reworked the throttle, so just squeeze her like a gas pedal. And if you want to stop, mash down hard and then let go. Okay. Anything else? Yeah. A little luck. How do I look? Like a hood ornament. That last clip is from the 1991 Disney movie, The Rocketeer. And yes, we are going to briefly discuss jetpacks or rocket packs. Now, I might use the terms interchangeably, but know that I'm referring to the same thing. 
The basic definition of a rocket pack per Wikipedia is a device worn on the back, which uses jets of gas or liquid to propel the wearer through the air. The idea of rocket or jetpacks has been around in popular science fiction literature since at least 1896, where a figure wearing a device similar to what we would think of as a jetpack was described in the novel The Country of the Pointed Furs. Later, in 1928, a jetpack-wearing superhero was featured on the cover of the magazine Amazing Stories. A jetpack was even featured in the 1965 James Bond film Thunderball. And who can forget the image of Boba Fett in the original Star Wars trilogy wearing a jetpack? In reality, the first serious design of a rocket pack was created in 1919 by Russian inventor Alexander Fyodorovich Andreev. The technology involved the use of oxygen and methane, and the pack sported three-foot-long wings. Andreev even obtained a patent for the design, but a working prototype was never actually built or tested. Enter the U.S. military in 1949, when it started researching the feasibility of creating a back-mounted device that could propel a single soldier into the air. Such a device could have all sorts of practical military uses, such as reconnaissance, crossing rivers, amphibious landing, accessing steep mountain slopes, overcoming minefields, tactical maneuvering, among other uses. A few years later, in 1952, Thomas Moore tested a rocket pack that lifted him into the air for a few seconds. Another device, known as a jump belt, later branded as the Bell Rocket Belt, was built by Bell Aerosystems and tested throughout the late 1950s and into the 1960s at the behest of the U.S. Army. In 1959, the U.S. Army contracted Bell to develop what they referred to as a 120-pound, quote, small rocket lift device that a pilot could strap on and control using motorcycle-type rotating grips for the throttle and yaw. Bell demonstrated its rocket belt in April 1961, when pilot Harold Graham flew 7 to 10 miles per hour for 13 seconds over a distance of 112 feet at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. The rocket belt used high-pressure compressed nitrogen as its source of thrust, and per the military's prompting, Bell made plans for a jet-powered version of the pack that would be superior to the previous version in both range and speed, flying as fast as 100 miles per hour. These plans were ultimately scrapped by the U.S. military due to the pack being too heavy and bulky for the military's specifications. Furthermore, while generally successful as far as lifting someone in the air goes, the pack ran out of fuel too quickly for any practical military application. Since that time, perhaps somewhat surprisingly, any further development of rocket pack technology has, by and large, been at the hands of amateur inventors and independent companies. They've had mixed success, and these rocket packs are usually one-off designs with limited usage for movie stunts or at public demonstrations. Aside from the issue of these devices having a limited range of usage due to fuel portability and consumption issues, Many of these jetpacks run on hydrogen peroxide fuel, which costs several hundred dollars per gallon. So, 
A 10-minute flight with a 10-gallon fuel reserve could cost several thousand dollars just in fuel alone. At any rate, there are a handful of companies out there who build and sell jetpacks if you're willing to pony up. Jetpack International is an American company who has designed jetpacks with estimated flight times ranging from 1 to 10 minutes. Cough up around 200 grand, give or take, and you can be on your way to soaring in the air like the Rocketeer. Tecnologia Aerospatio Mexicana is a Mexican company selling rocket-powered devices for around $150,000. Quite the bargain, right? Thunderbolt Aerosystems is another company with plans to offer a jetpack for sale to the public, also with a sticker price well into the six figures. Well, we've covered some pretty fascinating and still-developing personal flight technology. And only on a very basic level. We'll throw some links up in the show notes if you want to discover more about what we've discussed today. Time will tell if any of these technologies will ever get to the point that they will be viable and affordable modes of transportation for the average person. And in the meantime, we'll keep looking to the sky and dreaming of what new flying gadgets and technology the future might bring. over there we're gonna fly right through the center of it it's called threading the needle totally intense uh-huh uh-huh yeah or, or how about this maybe you jump off this cliff and i spin around over there and sing sound of music or, or we could just go home and watch sound of music Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the Immortal Souls podcast. For more information, show notes, pictures, or just to say hi, check us out at immortalsoulspodcast.com, Instagram, or Twitter. Original theme music by Scott Spriggs. Five-star reviews are always helpful and hugely appreciated. Until next time, keep walking the roads less traveled. One of the wizard's most rudimentary skills is levitation. The ability to make objects fly. Wingardium Leviosa.